Welcome to the Well Studying Podcast. This is episode 261. Today is April 17th, 2018. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm the founder and money manager of investablewealth.com. Your federal taxes are due today. I hope you've gotten all that taken care of or you filed an extension. But in any case, that's not what I want to talk about today. I really don't care about paying taxes. I care more about making money. And my favorite way to make money is in the stock market. Now, we've been going through a rough patch, a correction over the last eight weeks. And whether it's been kind of a double bottom or maybe just one long drawn out uh, downturn over these past eight weeks, you know, all that's debatable. I don't really concern myself with the particulars. I try and focus on the overall direction of the market, where I think it's headed, and how I think it's being impacted in the short term by investor sentiment, particularly retail investors. Those are you mom and pop people out in the audience that trade based on the headlines, the people that are so worried about what's being published in the Wall Street Journal or what's being said on CNBC or wherever you get your alternative news. It's very much headline-driven fear and greed investing. I do my best to avoid that, to unplug from it, and not get caught up in that emotional side of the market. One way I do that is by what I want to talk about today, and that's chart patterns and using just very simple things like moving averages to help take the static and the noise out of what you're hearing in the media on a daily basis. And as we talk about these chart patterns, I'm going to relate them to what's been going on in the market, particularly over the last week or couple days, because it does look like Perhaps now that we're in earnings season, and as we expected, the earnings results are looking pretty good, maybe we have turned in a bottom, and this market might, and I say might, go up to hit all-time new highs. Now, personally, that's what I'm banking on, because I am pretty much 100% invested in this market. At the beginning of the year, if you go back and look at my YouTube channel, where I put out my 2018 retirement portfolio... I list every position that I'm in, and I think at that time I was 13% in cash. Well, over these last weeks, I've been buying the dips, I've been trickling into this market because I didn't think we were headed into an all-out bear market or some type of economic collapse or a big financial crisis. Based on the data that I look at, not the headlines that I read, but the independent data, things like price and volume movements within the stock market, unemployment rates default rates on credit cards, the amount of subprime loans in the real estate market, and then other factors of commodity prices. Where's the price of oil? Where's the price of gold or silver? These are all key factors that I look at rather than watching the headlines. I look at this data. And over these past eight weeks, in spite of all the fear and gloom and doom that you've heard, my only big concern has been the increase in oil prices. Other than that, I ignored what they were saying about Federal Reserve raising interest rates because although that's probably baked into the scenario that's going to happen and it's probably likely to happen, the fact of the matter is, no matter how much they talk, 10-year treasuries remain at about 2.8%, and it's pretty much where we've been for the last 10 years. So for right now, I'm not worried about rates going to 4 or 5 or 6% because in spite of the headlines, they're only at 28 And so for those reasons and many others, I've been buying these dips. Now, if you want to follow along with what I do, and I want to put out a disclaimer here where I'm never telling you what to do. The emphasis on my podcast, the things I put on YouTube, uh, over at my blog where I list my trades, I simply tell you what I do. I talk about a model portfolio, or maybe I talk about a retirement portfolio. 
Well, you know what that is? That's code word for John Pugliano's money. That's what I'm doing with my own money. If I buy or sell something in my personal account, then I list it over at my website. And I try and give you some rationale as to why I did it. And then I, you know, do these podcasts or do YouTube videos where I might explain that. But it's simply what I do. It's my position and my opinions. You can take that information and do what you want with it. And so that 13% cash position that I started out the year with, well, what have I done with it with these dips? Well, I stayed on the same investment themes that I was on all last year because I think they're still going to work into 2018. I bought more into international and emerging markets. I bought more into the banking sector and healthcare. I bought largely into the general market. And that was a slight change to my overall portfolio, but but not really a significant one. You see, I'm broadly invested in the U.S. by owning large dividend-paying Dow Jones Industrial Average type stocks. You know, I own Intel. I own Walmart. And so broadly, I'm in the U.S. market. But with this last downturn, rather than taking specific stock risk and putting, say, 5% of my portfolio into one blue chip stock, I decided to buy some broad U.S. indexes, like a large cap U.S. fund or a small cap U.S. fund. And I also, and this was really particularly in the last three or four weeks, when all the bad news was coming out about Facebook, I started really stepping up my investments in technology. Now, here again, I've been investing in technology, but my strategy through last year and the positions I'm holding now have been primarily in what I call old stodgy tech. So I own IBM. I own Intel. I own Cisco. I own Google. I mean, these are big names. They're not necessarily the FANG stocks. Google, obviously, is a FANG stock. But the others are more old stodgy tech. And shoot, even Google, how long has it been around? 20 years? It's almost time for them to become a dividend-paying stock, orphans and widows stock. But that's where a portion of my portfolio was invested last year with all this fear and worry about Facebook and are they going to get regulated and what's Trump going to do to Amazon. Well, I've been buying into that dip and particularly buying into technology, but what I decided to do was buy into a broad-based technology ETF that didn't focus on the fangs. I also took this opportunity to buy some Chinese technology. And again, this was in the form of a broadly diversified ETF. I'm not going to tell you all the positions. If you're interested, like always, they're listed over in my blog post, investablewealth.com. There's a category there that's called trade. You can click on that. That'll only bring up my blog posts, which deals specifically with a trade of when I you know, bought or sold something or when I talk about a specific trade. Or you can just you know scroll through all the blog posts. There's not that many there. I've been doing this for, I don't know, four years now. There's less than 200 posts there. So it isn't like I'm hammering these out every day or multiple times a week. I go through this litany of examples here because I just want you to understand that I'm not only giving you my opinion, but I'm telling you what I'm doing with my own money. I'm backing up my opinions with positions I'm taking in the stock market. I remain very bullish on this market. That could change tomorrow. But for right now, the fundamentals and all the data that I'm looking at are saying that we're not in a crisis mode. Not yet. We could be, but for now we're not. And so I ignore the tweets out of the White House and not getting all emotional and tied up in, you know, general media or political propaganda. One way I avoid that is by looking at stock charts, and in particular, what I'm going to talk about today is the price action patterns that we see using a simple moving average. Now, I want to emphasize here, again, this is just one thing I look at. 
the bottom line of what I use is not much different than I used over 30 years ago when I started investing in the market as just a young guy with not very much money and I used simple moving averages. And I'm not going to go into details. I, I might do this in a later episode. I've certainly talked about it in past episodes, but I'm talking about like 1984, 1985 when I started. We didn't have spreadsheets. We didn't have uh, desktop computers everywhere. Uh, we certainly didn't have smartphones and tablets and all these things that we have today to crunch these numbers. So I developed my particular trading strategy around following very simple moving averages. It's where I take the closing price out of the newspaper, out of the Sunday business section of the newspaper. I'd take the closing price of the stock that I was following. I'd plot it on engineering paper. I'd use a French curve and I'd draw in the, the trend line. Now that may seem really antiquated, but you know what? With little more than that, I made my first million dollars in the stock market. So take that for what it's worth. Now we fast forward to 2018. Am I still using a French curve and engineering paper? Well, no, I don't. But you know what? I still have that stuff in a desk drawer. I like to keep it there to remind myself of the simplicity of investing. I also do like to occasionally doodle and play around with that because there's, there's nothing like drawing a picture to try and convey an idea. But you can kind of see where I'm going with this. I still keep things on a very simple basis, even though I'm using spreadsheets, even though I'm dealing with insurmountable amounts of data. It all boils down to some variation of a simple moving average. And what I want to stress here is this is not only what I do, but this is ultimately the backbone of any algorithm or trading program or whatever you're hearing other people pitch or market to you. It all comes down to studying price and volume action. Now, you may put 300 other factors into that, and you may use some sophisticated statistical software to crunch the numbers, but at the end of the day, you're looking at price volume action. And the simplest way I know to track that, particularly for a retail investor, is to look at stock charts that have something like a 50, a 100, and a 200-day moving average on them. Now, you may find charts that have more than that. You may find charts that have less. And again, me personally, when I'm drawing my own charts with my own software, I may not be using something that simple or that rudimentary, but that's because I have the luxury and the time and the money to do more with it. But again, getting back to what I said, I made my first million dollars using nothing more than, you know, a calculator, a pencil, and some graph paper. So you don't have to get all bogged down with this. It all comes back to these moving averages and the reason the 50, the 100, and the 200 are so important. And really what you mostly hear about are the 50 and the 200. Some people talk about the 10. Some, sometimes you'll see people that focus on the 20 and all variations of it. And a lot of times people do that simply for marketing reasons. They're simply trying to distinguish themselves and their technique. You know, it's better than everybody else's because they use the 23 and a half day moving average or they use some other kind of oscillator. Or rather than using a simple moving average, they're using a derivative or a logarithmic scale or some type of complex algorithm. Listen, it doesn't matter. They're all, as I said, based at the core on looking at the relationship of one or more price and volume sets of data. And I think for most people, it's not worth trying to drill down and finding that one specific harmonic frequency that applies to that index or that stock you're looking at, I think broadly you're better off just looking at the 50 and the 200 day moving average. And the bottom line on this, and this gets back to where I talked about 
the retail investor. The reason those levels are so important, that's where the professionals on Wall Street, that's where the institutional investors, that's where the pension fund managers, the hedge fund managers, that's generally speaking the levels they're looking at. I won't go into detail on how you calculate these. There's plenty of information on the internet. I've talked about it infinitum over the years on the podcast. I even have what I think is a pretty good darn video over on my YouTube channel. I'll put a link to, in today's show notes where it'll take you over to that, where I show you how to draw a simple moving average using Yahoo Finance. I think Yahoo Finance is one of the best free charting and financial information you're going to find. It's simple. It's free. It's comprehensive. For those of you that decide to watch that video about drawing simple moving averages uh, with Yahoo Finance, just be aware, I made that video about a year ago. Yahoo has tweaked and changed some of the ways you access their charts, but if you watch that video, it'll give you the general flair for how to do it. And, and quite frankly, if, if you can't figure out how to do it by watching my video, you're probably not going to be able to be in a position where you can adequately apply a moving average anyways. So, you know, go back and do your homework. Ah, but I digress. Okay, so why are these 50 and 200 day moving averages so important? Because that's where the professional investors are tracking these stocks. A 200 day moving average is nothing more than the average annual price of that stock over the last year. 200 days, you know, there's about 200 days relates to approximately how many trading days there are in the year. Yeah, there's 365 days, but the stock market is closed on holidays and weekends, and it's not exactly 200, but that's a nice round number. And so a 200-day moving average is nothing more than roughly the average price of the stock over the last year. The reason that's so important and the reason it shows up forming distinctive patterns on stock charts is because when a stock dips down and it drops below its 10-day moving average and then below its 50-day moving average and then, you know, down to its 200-day moving average. At that time, that's when all the fear is setting into the stock market. All the mom and pops, all the retail investors, they're watching the headlines. They're panicking. They're selling their stocks. They're calling up their stockbroker and saying, liquidate everything. Or they're going into the 401k plan and they're just selling all their mutual funds. They're worried about an economic collapse. And how does that usually play out? Usually it doesn't happen. And what does happen is those institutional investors, the pension funds, the hedge funds, the smart money on Wall Street, they come in and they buy at exactly the same time that all the retail investors are selling. And so they're coming in and they're buying at that three-month moving average or the six-month moving average or the one-year moving average, right? Those are the 50, the 100, the 200-day moving averages, and so when you plot those averages and you see the price of the index or the price of the stock that you're following, that it'll drop down to those levels and then bounce back off. Well, the reason it's finding support at those levels is because that's where the professional money managers are buying it. I bring all this up because over the last eight weeks or so, we dropped down below those averages. Consistently, what we've seen over these last eight weeks has been eventual support around that 200-day moving average. And that says to me that the smart money on Wall Street is coming in and buying these dips. They're not worried about the tweets coming out of the White House. They're not worried about the opposition of the White House. They're not worried about trade wars. They're not worried about antitrust sanctions against technology companies. Because the bottom line is that prices stabilized around the 200-day moving average. And for right now, it looks like they're moving up. 
Again, this is one reason, not the only reason, but one reason that I remain in this market and one reason that I remain optimistic about this market. Now, something else to consider here, and you can do this looking at chart patterns, you can do this looking at simple moving averages, and it kind of goes back to ignoring the headlines, ignoring the media, and focusing on the real truth. And how do you know what the truth is? One way you can help sort out the propaganda from the truth is when you apply these chart patterns and these moving averages to what's being said in the headlines. And so let's step back six, eight, nine months ago, whenever it was, when there was all kinds of fear that we were going to have a nuclear war or have some kind of major military conflict with North Korea. At that time, if you remember, I was saying this is nonsense. It's being hyped up. It's, it's very, very, very unlikely that anything's going to happen. If there is some kind of military interdiction here, it's going to be quick. It's going to be fast. We're not going to get nuked. There's not going to be an electromagnetic pulse. It's not going to be the end of the world or the collapse of the economy. And I said that over and over again because my email gets bombarded with people that see these things in the alternative media and they start freaking out that we're going to have some kind of economic collapse. Well, there were many ways that I came to the conclusion that there wasn't going to be a nuclear war with North Korea. But one way, one very simple way, and a very eloquent way of knowing that that was all BS, was if you looked at the price-volume action and the simple moving averages of stocks in the Asian Pacific area, and in particular on the South Korean stock market, you could see that those things were hitting pretty much all-time record highs. And so you have to ask yourself, if our reptilian overlords who control the world, right, these conspiratorial international bankers, right, if the Illuminati, who is all-knowing, if they know that they're planning a war or they sense that Trump is going to be planning a war with North Korea, why the heck aren't they pulling their money out of the South Korean stock market? Okay, that sounds simplistic and I'm being a little sarcastic here, but do you get it? Do you understand how that really comes down to common sense? You can discount all that noise and static and baloney nonsense because when you look at the simple chart of the South Korean stock market, it's going up, it's not going down. If everybody was worried about a nuclear war, they'd be liquidating their positions. They'd be buying gold and tobacco and alcohol and food and water. But that wasn't what was happening, and so therefore, a nuclear war was very unlikely to happen. Katie, okay, follow that logic? Again, it's very, very simple, but it works. So now we fast forward to today. And whether it's rumors about the end of quantitative easing or massive inflation or high interest rates, or whether it's the impeachment of Trump, or trade wars, or antitrust lawsuits against Amazon, you know, whatever it is, look at the price volume action of these stock charts. And in particular, this whole thing about a trade war and tariffs, during the whole time we're having this debate about a trade war, and all the fear and all the noise that's being discussed in the media, if you were looking at the international markets, and in particular, if you were looking at the emerging markets, the very markets that would be hurt the most by a trade war, what was happening there? They were holding up better than the S&P 500. And so on a relative basis, if international and emerging markets are doing better than the U.S. stock market, what does that tell you about the smart money? It tells me that the smart money is not worried about a bear market or an economic collapse or a global slowdown in the economy due to trade wars or tariffs. Now, I could be wrong. As I always say, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. 
and nor at any time do I ever want to even be vaguely associated with somebody that claims that just because they have an algorithm or a tracking method or they follow some type of a moving average, that that moving average or that algorithm can predict the future or is infallible. I want to categorically state here that it's not. And don't believe people that try and tell you that it is. All those things they say about, well, it's been back-tested and it's you know 99% accurate or yada, yada, yada. Yeah, that's all looking backwards. It's accurate that way because they constructed it to be that way. But it can't predict the future. A moving average, no matter how complex or or regardless of the charting pattern, you know, if you're using the Fibonacci numbers, I don't care what you're using. None of them, none of them can predict the future. All they do is help you assess what has already happened and allow you to make some judgments about what might happen based on probability. But just because a stock bounces off its 200-day average today does not mean it won't collapse and fall through that tomorrow. You have no way of knowing that. It's just a guide. It's just directional. Think of it this way, and I'll close on this idea. Think of a charting pattern, an algorithm, a moving average, whatever it is. Think of these things simply as a two-dimensional map, right? These algorithms are nothing more than a two-dimensional representation of what's happening in the stock market in the past. Just like a road map is that very same thing. I live in Utah. If I decide to go back and you know visit family in Pennsylvania and I want to drive across country, I'll go up here and I'll get on Interstate 80 and I'll head east. And I can look at a road map and I can know that in about 24 hours, I'll hit Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I can look at the road map and I can figure out all my checkpoints and all my mile markers along the way. I know when I get to, well, and I think it's uh, Omaha, Nebraska, I'm halfway there. So I can plan if I leave at 6 o'clock this morning, I'll be getting into Omaha, you know, 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night, pull over, get some dinner, stay in a hotel, get up in the morning, leave at 6 a.m., and that next evening, I'll be in Pittsburgh. By using that road map and other factors, I can figure out what my mileage is, how far I've come, what my likely time of arrival is. All these things are looking in the past based on a roadmap I have, which generally points me in the direction of the future. That's what these algorithms, these chart patterns, and these moving averages do for us. They tell us what's likely to come in the future based on what's happened in the past. But they don't predict the future. Just like that roadmap doesn't predict the future. It just generally shows us what direction we're headed in and what could likely be happening. And I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm driving on Interstate 80. I'm headed east. And I'm planning on getting into Omaha tonight, have a steak dinner, stay in a hotel. You know, Tom Bodette left the light on for me. What if, as I'm driving through Wyoming, a snowstorm hits and they shut down the interstate? That's not going to be predicted on my map. And for those of you that have driven across 80 in Wyoming, you know that that is likely to happen. But it isn't predictable. Not predictable enough to know absolutely 100% that the interstate's going to be shut down. Likewise, my map, my GPS, nothing is going to predict that the semi in front of me blows out a tire, jackknifes, rolls over and shuts down the interstate for five hours, and I'm stuck in traffic. Nothing's going to predict that. Nothing's going to predict that as I'm driving on to Omaha, I fall asleep at the wheel and get into a car accident and die. Right? None of these things can be predicted by that road map. And so even though that roadmap is 100% predictable and back-tested, it can tell you where I came from, when I got there, what my mileage was, what my likely time of arrival is going to be, 
It can do all those things, but it can't predict the future. Now take that and apply that to the stock market, and it's even more complex. The stock market is the interaction of literally billions of people across the earth. Not only people that are buying and selling stocks, but all the people that are links in the chain across the entire economy in the world. It's too complex, there's too much uncertainty, and no one program, algorithm, trending method, nothing is going to predict what's going to happen. So hey, there you have it. Right now, the stock market appears to have maybe put in a low over these last eight weeks. I've bought into the market. You can go see all my positions over at investablewealth.com under the commentary and observations section under the alert section. Am I right or wrong? Will my positions go up or down? Well, you know what? You're going to have to come back for the next episode to find out.